Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Camara Coffee. Let's get real for a moment. We all love us some coffee. We got the boost in mental clarity, energy, mood. But what's the downside? Lots of these coffee brands do more harm than good in terms of our long-term energy. We get that crash. Camara Coffee solved that problem. And this is where it gets really cool. Camara Coffee sources their single origin beans from over 5,000 feet of elevation. Then they infuse it with the highest quality nootropics. What are nootropics? Well, if you've never heard of them, um, to simplify it, they're essentially brain vitamins. They help promote a bunch of stuff like focus, cognition, memory, and just mental health in general. So I was a bit skeptical, and then they sent me some. And, uh, you know, I pride myself being from Seattle. I'm a bit of a coffee purist. And I've uh, been using this stuff before interviews, and I can notice a significant difference in my mental acuity. I think I'm more in tune with the guests and I can process things better in my head. There's always that awkward pause after we're done talking about something um, where I either have to ask the next question or follow up with what they said. And sometimes, I mean, I have this brain fog and it feels like I can't even do it. Um, But I switched to this over the past uh, five or six interviews and I've really noticed that gap in between the them finish talking and uh, me asking the next question has shrank. I'm going to continue using this, and if you want to try it, head on over to Camara Coffee. That's with a K. So it's K-I-M-E-R-A-K-O-F-F-E-E. Again, that's CamaraCoffee.com. And if you use the promo code PaleoHacks, all spelled out, you get 10% off your entire order. 40%. That is the amount of our day controlled by habits. Habits control everything from what we eat for breakfast, to how we think about others, all the way down to how we exercise. Reality is your habits can run your life or you can run your habits. And on today's show, we have Gretchen Rubin here to talk about how we can reshape ourselves and make change when change is hard. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Clark from paleohacks.com. Thanks for tuning back into our Thursday little uh, podcast series we've got going on here. I'm really excited about Gretchen Rubin on the show today. Other topics include uh, why dropping carbs can make you happier, how to not be a self-help junkie, something I need to listen to, why the days are long but the years are short and fly by, plus we kind of do a one-on-one coaching call about me judging people wearing Uggs. couple things before we get into all that, paleohacks.com if you want the show notes, timestamps, and the highlights. For this, just head over there. We got it all in a blog post for you. Uh, Camara Coffee, our sponsor. Be sure to pick some of that up. Try it out for yourself. And the last thing is if you go over to ClarkDanger.com and plug in your email, I'll send you the 11 best questions to change your life. All right, that is it. Are you ready for the show? I'm ready for you to hear it. Let's go hear what Gretchen has to say. My guest is a left-handed, red-haired, extremely nearsighted, low-carb eater. Uh, Some of her other accomplishments are her books that have sold 2 million copies worldwide, spread over 30 different languages. Her podcast, Happier, was named one of the best on iTunes podcast of 2015. The New York Times calls her the queen of self-help memoir. Coming to the show, please welcome Miss Gretchen Rubin. Hey, I'm so happy to be talking to you today. The crowd goes wild. (laughs) 
So, Gretchen, I was reading some stuff before the call about left-handedness, um, and uh, there was a petition going around to get doorknobs moved to the other side so that they have left-handed doors. Have you seen that at all? Uh, no, and I, I can't say I would spend a lot of time uh, pushing that proposal forward, but um, it's definitely true that there are things that are just slightly harder for us because um, we're left-handed. Yeah, I, I was reading, too, that the average life expectancy is nine years shorter, apparently, for left-handed people. So um, apparently I just told you you're going to die nine years <laughs> sooner. This is off to a great start. <laughs> make sure that I, uh, I I offset that in some way. Well, then there's Da Vinci, Einstein, Aristotle, and Hendrix, uh, who are also left-handed. So maybe it's not about quantity. It's about quality. Yeah. So... Anyway, um, I was also reading, you went to Yale Law School, and yes. uh, that doesn't always seem to go hand in hand with going into the author path or writing books on habits, happiness. Um, what was, what was, what's your backstory like on uh, how you got into that? Yeah, you know, you know I went to law school for uh, the reason a lot of people go to law school. Um, you know, it was like, it's a great education, I'm good at research and writing, and it'll keep my options open. I can always change my mind later. Um, you know, it's a, it's a start in a lot of different ways. Well, the fact is, you know, going to law school is an excellent preparation for becoming a lawyer. Um, and I never really particularly had a desire or not to become a lawyer. I hadn't, I just didn't think about it enough. And so I, and, and I did really well in law school. So I went to Yale law school. I was head of the law review at Yale, which is the law journal. I got a clerkship with Sandra Day O'Connor, which is a very big deal if you're a law student. Um, so I was having a great experience. Um, it was fantastic, but at a certain point, and it was actually when I was clerking for justice O'Connor, um, I, I had always had a, a desire to become a writer. I think that I hadn't even really allowed myself to articulate and but at a certain point, it became stronger and stronger a desire to be a writer. And I also had an idea for a book that I wanted to write. So not only did I have this sort of inchoate desire to be a writer, um, I I was actually starting to work on a book without realizing, I, you know, it, it was like a giant research project that I was doing for fun. And finally, I thought, you know, I'm doing as a hobby what some people do as a job. And um, maybe I should try to become a writer, you know, as my profession and, and it occurred to me, you know, at this point, I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So let mm. me give it my best shot and either fail and move on, lesson learned, or or maybe succeed. And so that's how I made the transition. And what was the book you're working on? Was it your first one? Yeah, my first book was called Power, Money, Fame, Sex, A User's Guide. Um, and it was kind of like the preppy handbook meets Machiavelli. It was sort of an analysis of how people use power, money, fame, and sex. Um, and it's funny because looking at all my book, you know, I wrote a biography of Winston Churchill. Um, huh. A lot of people think my books seem very different from each other, Yeah. but really my subject is human nature. That is what I'm always thinking huh. about. And so power, money, fame, sex is absolutely kind of part of my core subject. Um, just like my happiness and habits books. are. Yeah. It's kind of human nature all wrapped yes. up in one. Yes, exactly. And so now you're doing books like uh, The Happiness Project, obviously, is a big hit. Um, some of the other ones coming out, talking more about happiness and habits. Is that kind of yeah. how you would sum up what you're currently doing? Yeah. 
Um, and, and, and one led right, happiness led to habits because as I was studying happiness, um, I began to notice that a lot of times when people had a big happiness challenge that Mm -hmm. they were facing, they would often point to a problem habit. Like they'd say, well, I'm exhausted all the time. Well, that's about the habit of getting asleep or, you know, I, I feel bad about the way that I eat and that's about the habit of eating healthfully. And so I became really drawn to trying to understand the role that habits could play and helping us to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. Uh, and so then that led me right to habits, which is this gigantic subject. Right. Um, and so then that's why I wrote the book better than before. Yeah, you said that habits are the prequel to a happy life. Uh, yeah. In a talk, I heard you say that. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. What's your philosophy then on habits? Kind of expand more in, into that and why they interest you so much. Well, you know, habits habits are like the invisible architecture of everyday life. Uh, research suggests that about 40% of our everyday lives are shaped by habits. And so if we have habits that work for us, just going to be a lot better off than if we have habits that don't work for us. Um, but the thing about habits um, that I think is the most important thing, if there's one thing that I could, you know, kind of convey from everything that I talk about in the book, is that so often we're told that there's like a magic one size fits all solution, you know, okay, this is what the experts are saying. Start small, do it for 30 days, give yourself a cheat day, do it first thing in the morning, do it. And the fact is those strategies work sometimes for some people, but they don't work all the time for everybody. And what is the key, key, key thing that so many people skip is to say, well, what kind of person are you? What is going to work for you? Are you a morning person or a night person? Do you like a lot of simplicity and quiet or do you like a lot of abundance and buzz? How can we create a situation where you can do your best and um, and there isn't one magic one size fits all solution? It just it, it, It's just not that simple. And anytime somebody hands you a piece of paper that's like the seven habits that all highly effective people follow, yeah. I'm like, it just isn't so. I, I I assure you that I could show you seven highly effective people who have the exact opposite habits um, because right. it's just a matter of it's of hacking yourself yeah. um, and, and suiting the habits to yourself. Now, I have 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And it's good that there are 21 because some work for some people and some work for others and some are available at some times and some aren't. Um, so you need a lot to choose from. But there are a lot to choose from. And so people have a lot more tools than they think. I think it's actually easier than people think Hmm. when you go about it the right way. That's the trick of it. Yeah, we've had some people on here talking about habits. Uh, One guy, Chris, was... He uh, had this Pavlog thing that's supposed to give you an electric shock. Yes. If you you do something you're not supposed to do, kind of treats you like a dog collar. Yeah. Um, So you can go pretty extreme with this stuff and changing approaches. And habits are really fascinating because you're so right on with like 40% of what we do is habit. I mean, in my life, I know it's probably even more from what I eat every day, from the thoughts I think, from uh, everything and and. Um, they're, they're really important, especially relating to health, wellness, and then of course, happiness. Um, so uh, this is a trick quest, not a trick question, but maybe a a pop fly for you. What's been one habit that you've either had to incorporate or change in your life? And what was the difference it made? Oh, I've done so many. I mean, a big one that comes to my mind right now is um, when I started the Happiness Project, I, I decided to test the idea of novelty and challenge by keeping a blog. And I truly thought I would like 
give it a good fair shot for three weeks. And then like my gratitude journal yeah. decided it didn't work for me and then abandoned it. You know, it was just, it was just part of the experiment. I was using myself as a happiness guinea pig. And what I found is actually my blog was a huge engine of happiness for me. And so I just passed my 10 year anniversary. Um, you know, posting five, six times a week for 10 years. Wow, yeah. So, you know, this was a giant, and I was in the habit of writing. I was a writer, but this was a very different kind of writing where it was like really every day. And it was, a, and, and, and I used to think of things in like 80,000 word blocks. And this is like 700 words. So it's a really different kind of writing, um, a really different kind of format, a really different kind of audience engagement. Um, and so that was a real, and it was, it was a frequent. So it was a habit that I really had to latch on to and execute. Um, without any accountability, because of course the thing about a blog is, you know, and I don't have advertisers. I don't have, you know, there's no one, there's no one checking up on me. Nobody cares if I do it except for me. So, um, so that was a massive kind of change to my, my day, my identity, my work product, um, my sense of myself really. So mm. that was, that was a huge one. For me, I know if there's no way to like measure it, it's a lot harder to stay on <laughs> habits. You know, I need I need ways to kind of quantify things. Um, how did you, how did you did you are you a person who gets a habit and then sets goals and has to hit those goals, or are you more relaxed with it? What's your style? Well, what you're talking about is the strategy of monitoring, which is one of the most powerful strategies. Which is just if, just by measuring something, you tend to do a better job of it. So that's a hugely huh. hugely uh, powerful uh, strategy. Now, one of the things that I discovered in writing um, better than before, which was quite a shock to me, um, was I, I realized that there were real differences in how people formed habits. Like, I formed habits pretty easily. Like, people kept saying to me, like, well, how did you get yourself to write your blog? And I'd be like, well, I just decided to do it, so I did it. And they'd be like, yeah, but how did you get yourself to do it? Um, and then some people say things like, well, I would never commit to writing a blog uh, post five days a week because maybe I wouldn't feel like doing it. And I was like, well, I would never set up my life like, oh, I just don't feel like doing it today. I mean, that's not how I think about my work. Um, and so part of what I did in Better Than Before was I came up with this framework that I call the Four Tendencies Framework, which divides all of humanity into four categories, um, which is, you know, they say there are two kinds of people, the kind of people that divide people into two categories and the kind of people who don't. I'm the kind who does. Nice. Um, and But what I found about myself is when I started writing Better Than Before, um, I thought I was a pretty typical person when it came to habits. Like I'm pretty typical. It turns out in happiness, I'm pretty happy. Most people are pretty happy. I'm very typical. Um, but it turned out with habits, I'm part of the freaky fringe. I'm very different from most people. I'm part of it. My tendency, the upholder tendency is a little tiny tendency on the extreme. And I basically had to rewrite all of better than before when I began to understand, you know, things that come pretty easily to me are difficult for other people. And like, so the question is, well, how, how can, how, how do they approach it? How can we make it easier for somebody who comes at it from a different perspective from me? Because since I'm not typical, I can't just say, I just can't wave my hand and be like, okay, go off and do this because it's not going to work for people. Right. Um, you were mentioning the kind of strategies you said you, there was, uh, the upholder. I know yes. you used to have the rebel, the questioner, the obliger Yes. kind of, Touch on those real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. So those are the four tendencies. And um, it's how people deal with an expectation. So there are outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a spouse. And then there are inner expectations like a New Year's resolution or your own desire to 
um, go running every morning. So a polder, that's my tendency, mm-hmm. uh, readily meet outer and inner expectations alike. So they, they, they find it pretty easy to keep the work deadline or to keep the New Year's resolution. And they want to know what's expected of them, but their own expectations for themselves are just as important. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they're convinced it makes sense. So they, in a way, make everything an inner expectation because if they're not convinced, eh, they don't do it. Hmm. Um, they hate anything inefficient or arbitrary. Um, they need justifications. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. Um, they need accountability in order to meet an expectation, even an inner expectation. And so a lot of the people who were saying to me, how could you keep up your blog if you didn't have a client, you didn't have a customer, and you didn't have a deadline, and you didn't have a boss, and you didn't have an editor? To them, it's like, no matter how much I wanted to do it, I wouldn't be able to stick to it without accountability. So that for, so obligers readily meet outer, but they struggle to meet inner unless that outer accountability is supplied. And then there are rebels, and rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to likely to resist. They don't even want to tell themselves what to do. So I think that's um, that's just called a cat. Oh, right. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, that is the smallest tendency. My tendency, a polder tendency, very, very small, rebel, even smaller. So overwhelmingly, people are questioners or obligers. Okay. And these kind of tendencies are a good way, like if someone was listening to that and they found out they were a questioner, they yeah. can kind of identify with how they're going to go about using habits based on their style. So if they know, yeah. for instance, they have good inner expectations, but their outer expectations are kind of lacking, maybe they would add in some more accountability or like public public posting or something like that. Not, not for a questioner, no. Um, that would work for an obliger. That's exactly obliger. what an obliger would need to do. They would need an outer accountability. So if you're an obliger and you want to get yourself to run and you're not able to run in the morning, um, maybe what you do is you would um, train for a race where you're going to raise money for a cause that you really believe in, or you're going to go running with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up, or you're going to pay for a trainer who's going to be expecting you and you're going to waste money if you don't go, or you're going to think about your duty as a role model to someone else. You need to model good behavior for someone else, or maybe you make a deal with your spouse, like he can't go running unless you go running and he really likes to go running. And so if you don't go running, not, he can't do something that he enjoys and that's good for him. So that's a lot of pressure on you. So there's all different kinds of ways that you can set up accountability if you're an obliger and that's what you need. Now, questioner though, questioners don't really need outer accountability. It's, for a lot of people, accountability is helpful. But for questioners, it's really about justification. So for a questioner, if you are a questioner or like, let's say you're a healthcare professional who's working with a questioner, mm-hmm. what you want to do is you want to convince them of this is the most efficient, most well-justified, most rational way to go about this. If you're doing high-intensity strength training, why are you doing high-intensity strength training? Why are you doing it this number of times a week? Why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing these muscles, not these muscles? Why am I listening to you anyway? Do, you have, do I accept your authority? They need m- more and more and more information. And also, questioners really like customization. So they need to know that they can tweak something. So again, if you're talking to a questioner, you want to say something like, this is what I would use. This is what I usually do. But let's work with you. Let's think about like, how, how do I really like make this customized for you? That's very attractive to questioners. So you can see how, uh, but like in a polder, you, you just be like, you should do this. And they'll be like, okay, you know, they don't need that much. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And to a rebel, you want to take a completely different tack. You'd want to say, you want to give them information and then choices. So you would say something like, you know, I found that a lot of people really benefit from something like this. They feel like their energy goes up. They feel like they're stronger. They feel like, you know, they look leaner. Um, there's, you could do it this way. 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 Totally up to you. You know, whatever you feel like doing, if anything. And then they can say like, oh, that sounds like something that could work for me. And then choose to do it. So now that we kind of touched on the styles, maybe someone has their style in their head right now. Yeah. Um, going back to like habits and happiness and how they relate to each other. What are some of your maybe favorite habits that really add to happiness that you've seen right. work with people or that you've put in your books or blogs? Do you have any off the top of your head? Yeah. No, and I should also say if anybody does, a lot of times people know exactly what they are from a brief description, but you can, if you go to my site and you go to happiercast.com slash quiz, you can take a quiz that will actually like give you an answer if you're not sure. So happiercast.com slash quiz. Um, so what are some of my favorite habits? Well, one of the things that I tried to do in better than before is not really advocate for any particular habit mm -hmm. because what works for me might not work for someone else. So for instance, I'm a morning person. So for me, getting up early and doing something in the morning is often very helpful for a habit. But for a night person who's at their most productive and energetic and creative later in the day, that kind of conventional wisdom, like get up early and do it first thing is like a totally wrong thing for them to do. Um, so a lot of things that when I was starting the book, I was like, this is the best habit to have. I, I realized it's the best habit for me. It's not necessarily the best habit generally. Yeah. For instance, um, I totally have given up carbs. I had what I call the strategy mm. of the lightning bolt, which is I read Gary Tobbs's book, Why We Get Fat. I ch overnight, I changed all my eating habits. It made, has made me so much happier because I, I have no more cravings. I'm so much less hungry. I look better. Um, mental clarity too. You know, I don't notice the mental clarity. Oh, I didn't notice that, but you know, maybe, I don't know. I, 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 did, I didn't notice that, but, um, but I really noticed the hunger because I was really hungry hmm. when I was eating like a very, very like low fat diet. Um, and, uh, so that was something, and also just the craving, like, it's like all that stuff. It's like, Oh, one cookie, two cookies. Can I have this? Can I have that? Like, Oh, calories, all this just go, went away. So huge. That for me was like an amazing habit change that led to so many positive changes. I also convinced my father to do it. And like, Oh my gosh, his, he like literally had that thing where his doctor was like, Jack, what are you doing? Your numbers are amazing. You know, kind of like yeah. between one visit and another kind of like, you know, like a television commercial type situation. Um, so that's like a habit that's really worked for me. But I always want to say to people, I'm not necessarily saying that this is the right way for you. Um, because well, like for one thing, abstainers and moderators, abstainers do better when they give things up altogether, when they have none and moderators do better when they have a little bit like, uh, you know, have something sometimes or, um, maybe have one square of chocolate or half a dish of ice cream hmm. for an abstainer like me. Like I'm all or nothing. I like, it's easy to have none, but I can't have a little and moderators do better with a little. And so if you're a moderator, you might not want to go all the way, the way works so well for me because you're a different kind of person. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So low carb eating was a big one for you. Yeah. Uh, getting up in the morning, it sounded like getting productive. Um, I saw a video on your site, the years are short. That seemed to yeah. connect with a lot of people. It's where, uh, it's got text over these images and it's, I think it was a personal story, correct? Yeah. It was about, it was about you. Um, 
and and your daughter on the bus or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Um, how how would you describe that to the person right now? Why do you think people uh, connected with that video so much? Um, I think it's because it's sort of a universal feeling, you know, that like sometimes getting from breakfast to bedtime feels interminable and like the day just goes on and on and on. Right. Um, especially if you have little kids. Um, but then the years fly by, you know, like what happened to like 2013? I don't remember a single thing from 2013, Hmm. like barely remember 2015. Um, so, you know, this idea the days are long, but the years are short, I think is something where people remember, you know, we really have to hold on to the ordinary day um, because in the end, it really is so fleeting. It feels like it's, you know, like this time is big, but then time goes so quickly. So a lot of the habits then are about being more present or um, taking a hold of the day more so and more fully not -hmm. just coasting on on autopilot is that kind of the message i mean you put your finger on a paradox of habits because one of the reasons that habits are freeing and energizing is because they really do put us onto autopilot right um you know i'm not i'm not i'm not having a long lengthy debate in my head about whether to brush my teeth i'm not standing there thinking like oh i want to make healthy choices should i wear my seatbelt today or not you're like no it's an autopilot i do it without thinking um do, what time do I get up tomorrow? 6 a.m. Why? I get up at 6 a.m. every single day. Oh, there's a bowl of chocolates here for free. Can I have one? No, I can't because I don't eat sugar. I never eat them. It's like dog food to me. It's not that there's anything wrong with it. I don't eat it. Not today, not tomorrow. It's my birthday. It's Christmas. No, I don't eat it because that's just my habit. Yeah. Um. So in a way, so that's how habits can be can be good. But that is one of the downsides of habits is that they speed time because they, they automate and so things our experiences speed up and things aren't distinct so you have to be very careful i mean i think you put your finger right on something uh, we want to use habits so that we can we want to use them mindfully mindlessly but in a mindful way so that we're creating the life that we want uh, and and i also feel like you know if you if, you know if you don't you know you may kind of need the habit of going to the gym but then once you're at the gym, you can really like find yourself in your body doing it, you know, hmm. or, um, yeah, you're in the habit of, uh, you know, you can, you can go out of your way to really experience what you're doing, but you're not, but without this constant choosing decision-making self-control that is so wearing. Um, and you know, it's better almost, I think mechanically to be held to some behaviors, um, and to get them done and then and the overall that's going to make you happier than, you know, trying to kind of recreate your life anew every single day, which for many, some people rebels, that's how they want to live. That's what works for them. Yeah. But for many people that is, that's just too much energy, um, is burned, uh, with like the simplest of choices. Like, should I go to the gym? It's like, you can spend your whole day debating that in your head and never even go, sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it you know it's uh, like I'm glad my parents made me eat my vegetables as a kid, even though I didn't want to. That was a habit that they did, and then looking back on it, it's a good thing I just didn't get to choose what I did every single day for meal because it would have just been pizza and soda, and my teeth wouldn't be here today. Right. So right. some things you know sometimes we might not like necessarily what's good for us, but that's why 
there can be uh, freedom within discipline and yeah. it can kind of set you up. So I'm, I'm curious then. Well, that's the, that's yeah. the motto. Of the, you know, I have mottos for all of my tendencies uh-huh. and uh, discipline is my freedom is the upholder motto. Oh. Um, but like, uh, it's not the motto for all the tendencies, but at, the, that kind of thing for me is like, I feel like that is so true. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious then I was talking to my girlfriend last night about habits. We knew we were doing this call today. Um, and I was like, what do you think a lot of people are struggling with? And she said, finding happiness in everyday routines when you don't have a lot of variety. Cause mm. it's, it's not always easy for the person. Maybe they're in a nine to five standard. Um, they got kids that they're raising. They're not out of the house yet. And they feel I don't want to say stuck, but maybe bored or maybe the routines are kind of wearing and there's not a lot of that variety in their life. Mm. Um, what would you say to, to, to that, that person? Well, you know, it's interesting because that is a value. The value of variety and spontaneity are values which are not important to everyone. You know, like a lot of people are like, but how do I build more spontaneity, spontaneity in my life? Because it's so important. And I'm like, I don't find spontaneity important. Like, I'm not saying that you don't find spontaneity important, but it's not like everybody needs that. So I think what you want to do is say to yourself, I would like more variety in my life. That was important to me, you know? And so it's like, okay, well, if that's important to you, how are you going to build that in? And I think it's very, very important to recognize that. I was talking to a woman, I was talking to a journalist who quickly became like me trying to coach her on changing her habits, which is my favorite thing to do. So I always love it when that happens. And she was saying how she was she wanted to bring lunch every day. And she said, well, I guess what I should do is figure out a healthy lunch and bring it, bring the same thing to lunch, lunch for lunch every day, because then it's just a habit. And I know and there's no decision making. And I said, that would be the way that would be the easiest way to do it, except are you a person who values variety in what she eats? I don't I eat the same food basically every day. I mean, I really am one of these people who can eat scrambled eggs for breakfast for decades, you know. And I I like that. It doesn't bother me. But for some people, a lot of people, they don't like that. That really, it feels burdensome and like a deprivation to them. And I'm like, so you've got to take that into account when you're, and so we talked it through and we're like, well, how can you eliminate decision-making and sort of decision fatigue and cognitive load and all that stuff? Create a habit where it's easy for you to know what your choices are. And yet you feel like you have enough freedom to choose that you feel like you have variety. And I think overall, that's going to make it a lot easier for her to stick to that habit because she is having that variety. So it's very important to always to not assume like, well, everybody has to have this. I don't have it. Therefore, my life is ruined. It's like, this is important to you. So how do we get it into your life? Somehow that just seems so much more manageable. Um, or like adventure, you know, so people are like, well, everybody loves adventure. I don't really like adventure. Yeah. You know, it's an important value to me. Um, Okay, fine. You know, so if adventure is important to you, let's, how do you build adventure into your life? Like, that's an, that's a question that can be solved. Okay. Um, but it's not a universal truth. Yeah. Um, okay, you like coaching people. Here's one. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I'll lay it on you. So I've noticed, I'm a very, I pride myself as a very, I'm a man of integrity. I'm a loving guy. I'll be friends with anyone. But for whatever reason, I have a problem. Uh, I judge people a lot internally, and I make yeah. these snap judgments. Yeah. What and, tendency are you? Could you tell? Um, I have good inner. I can hold myself inner accountable once I know what it is. Probably the questioner. Okay. I think. I think. Okay. Um, and and so like for instance, in college, I would be going to class, and I'd see uh, women wearing 
Ugg boots, and I'm like, oh, why are they wearing the Ugg boots? Those are those are hideous, you know. Or like, or I would just start going on this negative train, and I'd have to catch myself, like just making these snap judgments at people. Yeah. And I've gotten better, but um, definitely, definitely still a bit of an issue. So, what would you say to me on my judgment problem? Well, I have to say, in better than before, I don't, I don't talk about addictions, compulsions, or habits of mind. And what you're talking about is a habit of mind, which mm-hmm. is being judgmental, and that's something like something like being pessimistic. Um, and I don't talk about habits of mind um, because I feel like it's much easier to work on action than emotional states or intellectual kind of frameworks. It, and so, I my focus is really on. Um, actions now and i'm not saying that that's not important to work on judgment so first i would say you would work on are you expressing those judgments and it sounds like you were just saying it inside your head mm-hmm. um now so in better than before i don't really talk about that now in my own life i'm very judgmental as well and i'm an upholder and that's one of the things upholders are often very judgmental mm-hmm. um as my fellow upholders will attest um and a lot of times i just say that you know i'm just like you know, mind your own business. It's just like, who cares? Like, I don't like those egg boats. Okay, not my business. You know, yeah. I just keep your. I don't know if you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when you were little. Did yeah, way that? back. Yeah. Okay. So, one of my favorite scenes in all of children's literature is when um, Peter and Susan go in to tell the doc, the professor, that they think Lucy, Lucy is losing her mind because she has all these fantasies of Narnia. And he says, Well, she's obviously not insane. She, she has she's always been truthful before. So let's assume that she's being truthful now. And Susan says, but then well, what are we going to do about it? And he goes, well, we could all just mind our own business. And I'm just <laughs> like, that is good advice, you know? And just to remember, you know, I don't have to solve that problem. Like I could just ignore that. It's hard. It's yeah. easy. It's easy, easy to say and hard to do. I know. Um, but that's certainly what I, I, I try to remind myself of that a lot. I think one thing that helped me uh, with judgments is like, for instance, with food, if I'm judgmental of my girlfriend for eating sugar or crap, well, the times where I'm judgmental for her of doing that are always the times where in my life I'm eating more sugar or more crap. And it's more of a reflection of what I'm doing or not doing than it is of them. Right. Well, that's the, that's the, if you've spotted, if you spot it, you got it. Um, is that you're most attuned to the things that you don't like about yourself. Yeah, sure. Or uh, anytime you point the finger, yeah, three pointing back at you. That's good. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so what do you say to people then, you know, changing habits when they say, I'm sure you get it, I need more motivation. I'm just no. not a motivated person. No, don't, don't ever expect to be motivated by motivation. Forget about motivation. Totally irrelevant. It does not matter how motivated you are. Okay. The biggest waste of time is to like whip yourself into a frenzy, ex- being excited about whatever it, is. it doesn't matter. Work on your behavior. Okay. Work on your behavior. And so, like, if someone is trying to get back into the gym, yeah, uh, and work out on a consistent schedule, and they just say, "Gretchen, I'm just not motivated. I just don't yeah. have the motivation." Doesn't to matter. Do the habit. So doesn't matter you would go to the gym no matter no. what or no i mean what i would say, so like i have this, so there's 21 habits of stra- uh, 21 strategies that you can use to make or break your habits so my first question that would be helpful for them is like what's their tendency uh-huh. um because that'll sort of shape a little you know somewhat but like on my site um i have a checklist for habit change and it has all 21 strategies listed and you could at the top you'd be like go to the gym more regular you know go to the gym four times a week because you want to be very specific what exactly are you asking yourself? That's why res- things like, 
I want a habit of being less stressed. What, that is meaningless. What, like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean you're going to go to bed on time? Does that mean that you're going to, you know, hire somebody to, you know, help you clean your house? I mean, there's a million things, but like that is not, that's too vague. So, okay. I want to go to the gym four times a week. Okay. That's very specific. So there's the strategy of monitoring, which is what, how are you going to keep track of when you go to the gym? Okay. Then there's the strategy of scheduling. For most people, if something is actually on the calendar, they're more likely to do it. So when are you going to go to the gym? Okay. I'm going to go to the gym at 7.30 a.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. It's on the calendar. Um, then you use the strategy of pairing, perhaps. Uh, the strategy of pairing is you pick something that you like to do with something that you want to do yourself. So maybe you love Game of Thrones and you're like, I only get to watch Game of Thrones if I'm on the treadmill at the gym. If I'm sick in bed, I broke my leg and I can't go on the treadmill. Can I watch Game of Thrones? No, because it only happens when you're on the treadmill. Like I have a podcast and a lot of people say, oh, well, I use my pot. I listen to your podcast while I'm going for a walk. And so it's like I just pair those things together and it helps me stick to it. Or you could have the strategy of um, safeguards, which is when you think about all the reasons that you might you might um, run into challenges. So, OK, so you're going to go to the gym four times a week. But OK, it's uh the holidays are you, what are you going to do for exercise? You're traveling. Do you go to the gym when you're traveling? You've got a house guest. Do you go to the gym when you have a house guest? Oh, you know, it's your birthday. Are you going to go to the gym on your birthday? You know, like think about, it. so there are 21 strategies like this morning people, person, night people. I mean, okay. If you're a night person, don't tell me you're going to do it first thing in the morning. Cause you won't. And when you say, Oh, maybe I will. I'm going to be like, have you ever successfully exercised in the morning in your life when you were night, not on a team where you would be kicked off the team and no. So, so that's an easy problem to solve. How can you go, how can you exercise at 4 PM? There's a lot of ways you can do that. Yeah. Um, so, so I would say to a person, really sit down, think about a lot of different things because for, for, for like a big habit change, there might be many strategies that you would use simultaneously, which is much easier than it sounds. That sounds like it's like this huge crushing burden. It's actually not that hard, but it's like, you know, set yourself up for success, really build in a lot of pieces. Strategy convenience. Okay, you're going to go to a gym. You could go to the one that's across the street from your office. It's a little bit more expensive. You could save a little bit of money if you go just a block away. Ho, 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 no. Go to the one across the street from your, your office because every little bit of convenience is going to make it that much easier to do it. Um, you know, don't have your makeup bag that you bring back and forth from home. Have have the shadow makeup bag. So you got one, you know, one at the gym and one at home and just anything to make it easier. So there's tons of things that you can do. Yeah. If you're an obliger, build in that outer accountability. Easy to do, but you have to know to do it. Um, so there isn't one easy, like, you know, here's the template, you know, that will fit everybody. It's like, well, I got to talk to you for at least 20 minutes. But I bet I could come up with a lot of ideas. And the thing that's nice is that a lot of people are really discouraged because they've tried and failed. But then when you give them, talk them through things that could really work for them, they get kind of excited because they're like, you know what? I could kind of envision this really working, you yeah. know? And that's exciting. Yeah, when it's not just a cookie cutter, one yeah. size fits all approach and it's more individual to Gretchen or Clark or Claire. Yeah. Or I mean, you just know there's no one size fits all solution. I mean, it's like, it's funny to me that I I, I literally am the only person saying that. And it's hilarious to me because I'm like, you don't need to have like a lab full of undergraduates eating marshmallows to tell you that that's the case. Cause it's so obvious just from being in the world. Yeah. Cause if, if one thing worked for everybody, like we would have all figured start small. The most important thing is to start small. 
Well, that works for some people, but some people get bored if they start small. They want something big. They want something exciting. Yeah, they like gotta commit, go all in. They, yeah, they want to go all the way. That's what that's what catches their imagination. That's what gets them fired up. That's what helps them stick. Yeah. You know, they don't want to like, oh, why don't you substitute brown rice for white rice? They're like, no, man, I'm giving up grain. You know, yeah. and that's that's the better way for them. It's not that there's a right way and a wrong way. Sure. It's what's the right way for you? And whatever works for you. Yeah, that's powerful. On those 21 different uh, tips and ways to incorporate habits, do you have any on negative incentives, kind of using the stick instead of the carrot? Well... I mean, the thing about habits that's funny is that a lot of times a, a bad habit, you could take the same behavior and either characterize it as breaking a bad habit or adopting a good habit. So it's kind of how you, it, it, it's sort of like, it, that can be either thing that you want. Mm -hmm. um, like you could either be um, giving up junk food or eating more healthfully. They're really the same thing, but one is breaking a bad habit and one's creating a good habit. And people are different on like whether they want to be prevention focused or promotion focused. Um, but one of the things I would say about the negative, it's like the opposite of your question is the danger of rewards. Yeah. Do not reward yourself for a good habit. The only reward for a good habit is the, is what comes from the good habit itself. So if you think to yourself, Oh, I love the amazing feeling I have after doing yoga. That's a good reward. Hmm. A bad reward is like, oh, I went running this morning, so I get to eat a scone in the afternoon. Okay, no, don't give yourself rewards. Because a lot of times, reward they have a very bad effect on a behavior that we want to do, especially if we want to do it indefinitely. Um, and so whenever there's rewards and punishments and things, you start to really mess with people's long-term behavior. Like, what they do, what what they will do over the long term, and the important thing for a habit to remember, it's not about giving up sugar for Lent. It's not about training for the marathon. It's not about writing a novel in a month. Those can be fun and they can be useful, but really, what you want to do is to have the habit of writing every day for ten years, or eating healthfully forever, or exercising indefinitely. And that can be scary to think about, but um, but really, I think that's what most people want from their habits. So my mom once, uh, God bless her soul, she's a beautiful woman, but on a Saturday, I remember as a kid, she drove around for three hours uh, around town doing this one errand. And I was like, why are you driving around for three hours? She's like, well, they didn't refund me the $5, and now I have to go back and drive around. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, okay, so you you essentially made back, if those $5 are okay, $1.60 an hour is that really worth your time on a Saturday? And then I heard in one of the habit books that we'll work way harder not to lose something than yes. we will to gain something. Yes, that's loss aversion. Yes, that's a very powerful, um, very powerful. Like, and you know, gamblers take advantage of this. And yeah, huh. no, it's a, it's a, it's 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 a. Um, it's a psychological phenomenon that's that ha, that is very real and has a lot of you know very real consequences in the world. Um, yeah, so there is loss erosion. And, yeah. and do you use that at all when incorporating a new habit? Is that something we can uh, uh, don't, not monetize, but incorporate yeah, in to yeah. hold us accountable uh, in any way? You know, not specifically. Now I'm trying to think. That's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about how to, like, if you could take advantage of that psychological phenomenon. I'd have to ponder that. Like, nothing comes to mind immediately. I bet there is a way to take advantage of it because it is a very, very powerful. So loss aversion. Um, well, you could set it up. There's probably accountability systems that would take account of loss aversion. Like, if you and I had some kind of conflict, you know. Mm -hmm. 
for accountability, some people love creating these complex systems where it's like, okay, you're going to put $50 into this account on this app. And then like every time you go to the gym, I'm going to check you in. And then if you don't go five times in a week for a month, then I'm going to deduct $10. And so yeah. that would be very painful for you because you're like, that's my own money, man. Like, and I just lost 10 bucks. Yeah. So there's things you could set up like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Gretchen, I know we're coming up on time. I got two more questions for okay. you. These are our closers. Excellent. Our, our best of. Okay. Um, people love these. So Fire it up. The, the, first, <laughs> the first one is looking back on this year, yeah. what's been the biggest lesson you've learned? Mm, well, I have to say the big debate in my household was whether or not to get a dog. Really? And we got a dog and I was like, I was the holdout. I was the one, you know, like debating and debating about getting a dog. Uh-huh. And I would say I learned that it's really, really fun to have a dog. What kind did you get? We got a cockapoo named Barnaby and we thought he was going to be like, you know, 18, 20 pounds and he's already 35 pounds and still growing. So we got much more dog than we expected. We just had to get him a new crate because he outgrew the crate that we were convinced was going to take him, you know, through his whole life. Yeah. Um, But he's totally fun and like a wonderful, you know, and this is what all the happiness research shows is that people who have dogs are like happier, they're healthier, they get more exercise than people who belong to gyms and they enjoy it more. Um, it's a relationship. There's all sorts of wonderful things. Better but immune systems, I've heard. Better immune systems. Yeah. But, you know, it's time. It's energy. I hate errands. Um, I knew I would be the one that would sort of be um, having to do anything that was kind of like, you know, sliding down the pole of responsibility. But it's really worked out well. So that was a, that was that I, I wasn't surprised because everybody because I thought there is so much evidence that dogs make us happy. But that was a lesson that I really, truly learned for myself. Okay. Uh, the the other question is, what are some of the best books or mm. blogs or anything that you just absolutely love? Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting. I wish I had the list right here because I'm, I'm I have a, a book club where once a month I, I recommend books, and one is a book about either happiness, good habits, or human nature. One is a book, an outstanding work of children's literature because I'm a freak about children's literature and then one is an eccentric pick which is a book where i'm like i'm not guaranteeing you that it's for everyone but i love it you know it's kind of like lets me put throw in some wild cards and so every month i've been picking and like okay what am i what now of course now my mind's blank um i love the work of chip and dan heath like made to stick that's a fantastic book hmm. um i'm thinking about um uh i'm gonna can i turn around and look sure. at my yeah. um, uh what is it? Oh, Punished by Rewards by Alfie Cohn, I think is a really interesting book. Oh, Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz is really interesting. Um, oh, there's a fascinating book called um, Daily Rituals by Mason Curry. And if you need any evidence, he like looks at the daily habits of like more than 100 people. And if you need any convincing that any habit that one highly successful person has, another highly successful person has exactly the opposite habit. You will see it laid out there and you can like match them up. You know, this person offsets this person. Um, I have to mention the book, uh, why we get fat by Gary Tobbs. That's the book that really launched me on, uh, on, uh, you know, really giving up carbs, which as I said, also in the, if you're interested in that, Nina Teicholz 
has an excellent book called The Big Fat Surprise. Hmm. Gary Tobbs focuses on the insulin effect, and Nina Teichholz is really focusing on the role of fat in the diet. And um, those two make really great companion pieces if you're trying to kind of, especially if you're a questioner, you're trying to get your mind around why you might go low carb. Um, uh, uh, oh, there's this one book. Um, there's a book called Willpower, and I'm just blanking out on. Do you remember that? Yeah. John Tierney and um, Baumeister. Okay. Uh, Tierney and Baumeister. It's called Willpower. That's a really excellent book. Um, Have you read The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg? Oh, Charles Duhigg. Yeah, he's a pal of mine. And he has a new book, which I haven't read yet, but looks really interesting about productivity. Um, Power of Habits isn't really about how to change habits. It's more like how to market using habits. Super fascinating. Yeah, it was. I know in there um, they had a lot of different things. I think about how Target was using habits to market towards people, and they found that pregnant women were the most uh, marketable to change their habits of buying. And so they spent ungodly amounts of money to just target these pregnant women because if they could get them during that time, they got them for life. Yeah, really, um, there's a fascinating yeah. book about inter- called Internal Time, uh-huh. um, and I can't see who wrote it. It's a German author, I think Rothenberg. Uh, I can't remember. It's called Internal Time, and it's super fascinating. And I would especially recommend it if you are a person who feels out of step with time, like if you're a night person living in a you know in a morning person's world. This is really will make you feel a lot better because it's like. It just absolutely makes the case that it's largely genetically determined or a function of age. And so there's really nothing wrong with you and all these morning people who are telling you you should like get your act together are wrong. Mm. And it's just like you are who you are. And so it's very reassuring to night people and also makes morning people less judgmental. Um, well, that's a lot. That's a lot right there. I could keep going. Like not now, like I'm hitting this. Oh, Laura Vanderkam writes excellent books about time management. Um, ah. I, I feel like, uh, anyway, yeah, there's tons and tons and tons of, I mean, there's fascinating, fast, fascinating Lots work, stuff fascinating research. Yeah. Um, yeah, the touch on it. And yeah. then, and then Gretchen, um, you have a podcast, iTunes yes. best of 2015. It was, I think. Yep. Wow, yeah. Wow. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Good for you. Yeah. 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 It's called happier with Gretchen Rubin and I do it with my, uh, my sister is my co-host. And, um, so that's tons of fun. And so we talk about like happiness and good habits and we suggest try this at home ideas and, uh, and stuff. And it's fun because doing it with your sister, like we don't let each other get away with anything. Like she'll say something and be like, yeah, but like she was, she was talking about how messy she is, which she is very, very messy. But Mm -hmm. I, as her sister can say like Elizabeth, Yes, you are messy, but I know back what you were like 15, 20 years ago, and you have made a lot of progress. So you really should give yourself credit for the fact that you really have come a long way because yeah. I know her very well. So it's fun. Um, and and uh, yes, yeah, so it's Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and it's uh, you know on any kind of podcast pl- listening platform that people are listening to. So if they're looking it up right now on uh, yeah. on iTunes or their yeah. podcast app and they see it, yeah. what's, the, SoundCloud, yeah. what's the episode Happy. they should start with? Is there one that's like the greatest hits? Yeah, we do. We had our first anniversary, um, which was episode 54. Um, we could have done it 52, which is a year, but 54 was sort of the calendar year. Um, and so that was like a look back on some of our, some of the ones that got the most, we have a very, very engaged community. And so these were some of the, the episodes that had, 
um, like got a lot of traction and we really heard from people. Our own favorites, our producer picked his favorite moments, which is hilarious. But I have to say, speaking of Elizabeth's messiness, um, our episode, every 10th episode, we do a very special episode, you know, like, you know, kind of after school special. And, uh, and this time we did a, an episode where I was clearing Elizabeth's closet. Cause this hmm. is something that I do whenever I visit her in LA. She lives in LA. I live in New York. Um, and it was like, you hear us cleaning out her closet. And I have to say that is my own personal favorite. Um, what'd you find anything, uh-huh. dead, anything dead back there? Dead oh, rat. My God. Let's just say she had five hampers. I was like, my jaw dropped. I'm like, how does a person, I thought, like one per customer, one a hamper. I like I wouldn't even like have the imagination to have more than one hamper. Um, but episode fifty four is like that's a great place to start. Okay, they'll they'll check it out. And then uh, your books, Gretchen yes. can't can't leave without talking about that. Where's the best yeah. place to to get those? Well, you can get those anywhere you buy your books. Um, Better Than Before is the book we've been talking about the most, which is about habit formation, how to make and break habits. Um, the Happiness Project is probably my best-known book, and that's about the year that I spent test driving all the uh, you know, the current science and uh, popular culture, um, ancient wisdom about how to be happier. And like I tested it on myself to see what worked, huh. and um, that's fun. And then on my site, GretchenRubin.com, there's tons of links, and you can find everything there, and there's uh-huh. a lot of sources you can take the quiz the four tendencies quiz there's like book club discussion guys and all kinds of monthly newsletter you can sign up for oh and i just oh yeah um uh i just did a little ebook too um which is like the greatest hits of my blog because i just said the 10th anniversary of my blog so you can get that from amazon that's on amazon called the best of the happiness project blog it's just like a dollar 99 little thing but fun awesome gretchen thanks so much for coming on today that was a fun one talking about habits happiness and then uh the occasional low carb and dogs in there (laughs) well it was so fun talking to you thanks so much for having me on your show gretchen rubin everyone those four personality types are fascinating hopefully you can identify which one you are i love those kinds of tests of where you can um get some more knowledge personalized because i think a lot of the information out there can just be really broad or vague and again just like diet with uh health or emotional intelligence, personal development, self-improvement, whatever buzzword you want to attribute to that. It's all about specificity and making it tailor-made towards you. All right, to start a new ending to our calls, I thought I'd read one of the reviews off our iTunes page. This one's from Mega Stew. All right, that's an interesting name. Let's see what Mega Stew has to say. Clark always has great guests and has very passionate and educated guests. Love that this love that it's not just about food but overall health and self-improvement as well. Thank you Mega Stew. That means a lot. Um really really does mean a lot. We do try and branch out of just health uh shows because there's only so many shows about gluten, dairy, sugar and vitamin D that we can do before for lack of a better word it repeats itself. You know, a lot of our health comes from the way we're thinking about ourselves and our habits and uh, not just what we're doing in the kitchen uh, because it doesn't matter at the end of the day if we have a six-pack, if we walk around feeling depressed, lethargic, or tired, and a lot of that comes from the way we think. Um, So thank you for your review. Thank you for your feedback. If you want to leave feedback and review, really help us out. Head on over to the Paleo Hacks page on iTunes takes three seconds and it helps us out a lot. Paleohacks.com 
Head on over there if you want the timestamps, highlights, and resources for this show, as well as our archives so you never miss an episode. Camara Coffee, our sponsor, be sure to check them out. Use the code word PaleoHacks over there and you get 10% off. ClarkDanger.com and fill out the 11 questions to change your life. These are the best 11 questions I've ever seen, heard, or uh, done, and I compiled them into a book. It's 100% free. It's a workbook over there. And uh, it goes really well with this show if you're interested in that. So head over there, pick it up, and it'll get sent right to you. That's all I got, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Next week on the show, uh, let me pull it up. Who did we record? Okay, so we just did Gretchen Rubin. Uh, Kelly Starrett's coming on to talk about Mobility Wad. Steve Steve Cam? Cam, I think is how you pronounce his name. Steve Cam is coming on to talk about nerd fitness the week after. Then we got my friend Josh Trent making the return to talk about wearable technology and fitness. Uh, Dan Kalish after that. And that's, uh, we got Alyssa Vitti after that. Chad Edwards after that. So if you have questions for these guys, um, shoot me an email. Uh, Clark at ClarkDanger.com. And we'll see if we can work it in. Some of them I'm recording like this week so it might not make it oh well anyway i love to hear your feedback regardless all right that's it thanks so much for listening have a great week we will see you next thursday